especially compared to maybe some other nights uh, that, we've, that we've been looking at the meaning of biblical fundamentalism. And uh, of course, it's so important, especially in today's day and age when it's um, fading. It really is. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that will call themselves independent Baptists, very few that are willing to call themselves independent fundamental Baptists because the connotation that goes along with that has been so drugged through the mud. But essentially, uh, being fundamental is just being what the Bible is. And uh, it's sad that you even have to call yourself a, a fundamental Christian because isn't that what every Christian should be, right? The fundamentals of the faith are what we find in the Word of God. And there should be no distinction between those things. But unfortunately, as more and more Christians move away from the Bible and add their own uh, agendas or add their own interpretation or add their own ideas to the Word of God, then uh, it, it does become necessary, as we looked at when we talked about kind of the history of, of uh, where, in, where biblical fundamentalism started. Um, but it becomes necessary to distinguish those things. So we talked about the meaning and now what I want to talk to you tonight about is the motive of a biblical fundamentalist. Why, what motivates us to stand for what we believe? Uh, what drives this position in the heart? Uh, and, and sometimes uh, another question that we need to ask ourselves is how easy is it for pride or ego or piety to get in the way of the true teaching of the Word of God? Because we, we let that happen sometimes as well. Uh, how dangerous it would be for the next generation of Christianity to be influenced by our pride instead of by the motivation of the Word of God um, and, and by the truth of what we believe and how great our failure is if we compare and we pride ourselves on our position rather than putting the truth we hold into action by reaching a lost world. So uh, uh, over the years, I, I've seen some well-meaning men raise up what we could maybe call straw men issues uh, or causes, not because of their commitments to the truth, but because they, they, they're trying to get a following. They're trying to uh, create an issue so that they can build a following behind them. And I could give you examples of men that are doing just that. Uh, I'll give you some, some uh, names and some issues afterwards if you want to for the sake of time. I'm not going to go into those things tonight, but what, what happens a lot of times is they, they create these issues and they speak out very controversially on things that, um, you know, really just to create an issue or to rally supporters behind them um, for the sake of their own popularity. A lot of these, a lot of these are guys that, that uh, end up getting their popularity on the internet, um, but they come up with these off-the-wall ideas to get other people behind them instead of getting people behind them by preaching the truth from the Word of God. And that's what we need to be doing. That's what our motivation ought to be first and foremost. And we find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. Because a lot of these, the, these kind of motivations are nothing more than what the Bible talks about as wood, hay, and stubble. And one of these days when we stand before God, they're going to burn at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And of course, that is, that, that is uh, talking about us as Christians. Everything we do as a Christian is going to be evaluated through fire. And everything that was a straw man, so to speak, everything that was just uh, fluff or everything that was just our desire to get people to follow us. And there's, uh, there's mega churches all over the place that have, that have been built by these types of things. You know, they, they rally around one thing that may or may not even be in the Bible. Um, uh, and many times it's some idea that they made up themselves. And, I, and I'll give you a perfect example of that is Rick Warren with the purpose-driven life, right? The purpose-driven church. 
I mean, he got all these people to rally around behind him, and the church grew to thousands and thousands of people. That, the, the ideas of, of most of what he presented in that book is not, are not even in the Word of God. They're, they're just, it's just an issue that he created and made a, a ton of money off of this book and created a ton of followers behind him. And honestly, that's the, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he started it, but he gave popularity uh, very much so to the idea of the prosperity gospel. You just you do what God wants you to do, and God's going to bless you beyond all your imaginations. And you know you give to this ministry, and God's going to bless you for giving. And, and those are principles that are in the Word of God, but there's a whole lot of other things that go along with it. So the motivation of a Bible-believing, fundamental Christian is very vital for us to understand. And I've got some verses to look at tonight, but our primary motivation should always flow from the Scriptures. Uh, and we have to stand guard over our own hearts in those matters. Uh, every one of us has the possibility of being plagued by self-centeredness, by, by uh, a prideful spirit, and that's something that cannot be our motivation. We need to stand for the truth, but sometimes in that stand for the truth, we get so wrapped up in ourselves because look at us, we're the only ones that are still doing it, that we destroy any chance that we have of God being able to bless us because our motivations are wrong. Every Christian is tempted to advance the cause of self over the cause of truth, and maybe to compete rather than to cooperate with like-minded Christian brothers. So we have to see it through the eyes of maturity. We have to see it through the eyes of a commitment to truth. We have to see it through the eyes of a big picture view of the next generations of Christianity. And, and, and honestly, we have to rise above the pettiness of our own egos and, our, and, and, and truly hold forth the word of life, as the Bible tells us to do. So we have to be motivated not by self or not by pride, but by a higher call to reach a lost world for Jesus Christ. So tonight, I want to give you the motive of a biblical fundamentalist. And I believe that a Bible-believing Christian is going to be motivated by these things that we're going to talk about. And the first one is uh, found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So turn over there if you would. But the first motivation is to please the Savior. It's entirely possible for a Christian either to please the Savior or to grieve Him. Our motivation ought to be to please the Savior. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3 says this, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I, I'm, I'm just continually amazed. And I, I, don't, I don't get on Facebook very often, and, and for, for a lot of for these reasons, but... I see, uh, um, you know, so many times people that claim to be good Christians, people that, that, that are even pastors, and the things that they post on there that they uh, are watching or listening to or, or reading or, uh, you know, uh, just, just even entangling themselves with so often are so uh, anti-Christian and so anti-Christian. Uh, um, Moving forward, if you will, that's not the right. That's not the word I'm, I'm trying to think of. But uh, we're not going to entangle ourselves with these with these foolish things in the world, uh, especially when it comes to movies and and music and all of these other things. And I, I'm so grieved when I see pastors, especially, talking about all of these things on the internet and and uh, uh, you know, it, it, especially even when they're arguing about them amongst themselves. You know, just just uh, just uh, petty things that are in the end are not going to matter one bit. And I'm not saying that we can't enjoy things in this life. I'm not saying that you can't, you know, go out and, and play around a golf if you're a pastor or if you're a serious Christian, or you can't, you know, uh, go 
hike in the woods or do what. I'm not saying that you can't do those things, but those ought not to be our motivations. Those ought not to be the things that we, you know, stand hard and fast over, you know. Uh, and, and another one that I see so often, and, and I was just, uh, uh, we went to uh, the ODAX competition yesterday, and uh, I, I was asked to judge the preaching competition, and, and a couple of the pastors that I were sitting with, good guys, and, you know, I don't have anything against them, but they started getting into a conversation about uh, Star Wars, or, or uh, what's the other one? Uh, there's another one that goes right along with that. What is it? Star Trek. So it was Star Wars, yeah. And, and just, you know, oh, I finally introduced my kids to Star Wars, and oh, where did you start your kids? I had no idea what they're even talking about. Well, you know, where did you start them at in, in that whole series? And I'm like, these are pastors that are sitting there talking to each other about, you know, introducing them. And not one of them said, oh, I introduced my kid to the, you know, to the parables of Jesus this week, and we started in Matthew, and you know, and, and I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, obviously it's a very small uh, uh, piece of their entire lives and their entire conversations and everything else, but it, it just hap- it seems like it happens more and more, and it's so often that people are getting wrapped up in these things that really do not matter at all, and honestly are detrimental to us in a lot of ways. But one reason we ought to know the Bible and rightly divide the word of truth is so that we would never say or do anything that would not be pleasing to the Savior. And uh, I think, honestly, that's what happens many times when you're not in the Bible, and when you're not, when that's not your main motivation, and when your main motivation is not simply to please Jesus Christ, then we do end up saying things, we do end up doing things that are not pleasing to the Savior. That could be a whole lesson. We've done several on that already that deal with this topic, so we're going to move on, because a biblical fundamentalist is not only concerned with pleasing the Savior, but a biblical fundamentalist will also be concerned with earnestly contending for the faith. We should earnestly contend for the faith. Turn over to Jude. There's only one chapter there. But a fundamental Christian doesn't just believe certain things, but he's going to stand up and speak against those who would deny Bible doctrines. Defending the faith is a key characteristic of a historical and a biblical fundamental Christian. That is one of the things that motivated the early biblical fundamentalist is standing up for the truth and speaking out against doctrinal error. Our defense doesn't have to be with a haughty or a hateful or an arrogant spirit, but we should speak clearly and we should stand firmly nonetheless. And I think uh, that's one of the things that ought to characterize us as well. You know, the Bible says to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. doesn't mean that we have to be a jerk about it when we're standing up for the truth, but we do need to stand for the truth. And it doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. We have to stand for the truth. And we have to constantly bear in mind that our contending is to be against ungodly men who have crept in unawares, men who deny the truth that we've talked about. Jude, in verse number three, says this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should, ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Is that right? I wrote the wrong thing down on my verse. Is that what it, Okay, yeah, that's not what I said. Uh, that's not what I had written down here, but I knew that's what that was next. Uh, but anyway, he's not calling us, you know, he's not calling us to arms. He's not calling us to violence. He's not, he's, he's, he's calling us to earnestly, vocally stand up and proclaim the truth without compromise. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 
And by the way, it doesn't matter who it is that's dropping the doctrines or denying the faith that we have to speak out against. Sadly, sometimes it's people who used to be on the same side as us. Sadly, it, it's against people who used to teach like us, people who used to believe like us, that have given into the pressure of the world or given into the pressures of the contemporary crowd. And we're seeing this more and more as well. Uh, it's, it's been made very obvious here recently with this translation transition idea where uh, you know some of these bigger name pastors have taken some churches uh, that used to be King James Bible preaching churches and have turned them toward other versions and, hey, here's how we did it, here's how you can do it too. And, and, and those are the people that we need to stand against. There is one Bible. It's the King James version of the Bible and things that are different cannot be the same. And, and when you change one word, one word makes a big difference, right? I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. And, th and this is one of the things that we disagree with when it comes to the Mormon church, right? They believe that Jesus Christ was just a God among many other gods and that we can become gods too. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, and the word was God, right? Their Bible says the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Well, that's one simple, tiny little letter of a word, but it changes a meaning a whole lot, right? And when you, in order to be able to publish a Bible, have to change at least 30% from the King James, and so you're going in there and looking for things to change, you're changing meanings, you're changing doctrines, you're changing all kinds of things in that Bible. And so it does matter if we preach or teach from the King James or preach or teach from some other version of the Bible. And there's a lot of other doctrines that are, being, uh, that are being challenged today by the contemporary crowd who think that, well, hell may be a little bit too harsh or, you know, some of these other things that they're talking about, and, and we have to stand up against those things. We're not called to be liked. We're not called to be applauded. We're not called to be praised. We're called to earnestly contend for the faith. Over and over, the Scripture speaks of it. We find it there in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly... That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know what this is saying? It's saying that they used to believe the way we do. That They turned away from the faith. That means that at some point they were in it. But they gave heed to seducing spirits. They gave heed to doctrines of devils. They spoke lies in hypocrisy. Their conscience was so seared that it didn't even bother them anymore when they did speak out against the truth. There are people in Baptist churches all over America who are departing from the faith. They're giving heed to seducing spirits in the last days. That's one of the things that's going to characterize the last days. They're following doctrines of devils. Why? Because their consciences have been seared. They've never been grounded in the true teaching of the Word of God. Look over in the next book, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 2. Paul is speaking to Timothy, obviously, but he says this, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. By the way, that's exactly what we're trying to do here. It's not just my responsibility to get up and holler at you every week and give you some things that maybe you can take that will help you. You should be learning on your own. You should be studying on your own so that you can take those things that you've learned and use that to teach somebody else, right? And you should be growing to the point in your own life that you are able to do that. 
this is, uh, and it's, it's going to be uh, uh, maybe a few weeks or maybe even a month or two away before we start this, but one of the things that I'm going to start doing, it'll probably be on a Tuesday night, maybe a Thursday night, something like that, maybe even a Saturday. I don't know what day we're going to do it yet, but what I'm going to do is a, a, a class, five or six weeks maybe, on how to put a message together, how to study the Bible, right? It's important for us to be able to do that. Every, every man in our church, whether you've been called to preach or not, should be able to take the Bible, divide the word of truth, and then give us some of those things from the word of God, right? It's important for our young, our young men to know how to preach and put a message together. We have them preach fairly often, right? Uh, and that's something that I, that I enjoy having our men do as well, and so it'll be a help to you. But he says, the things that thou hast heard of me among many uh, witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also? Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. See, we're living in an age where a lot of Christians are no longer interested in sound doctrine. They're only interested in things that make them feel good about themselves, and many times it's because they, they don't want to be convicted by their sin. They don't want to be convicted about their sin. They want a, a quick fix recipe to improve life. They want a, you know, a, a 10-point pop psychology outline for having health and having prosperity. And they yawn at topics like justification and eternal security and sanctification. We're nurturing, and I say we, I, I, hopefully this is not us, but Christianity in general is nurturing a generation of Christians who are filled with, with the baby food, pop culture, uh, you know, and, and, and cannot stomach the meat of the word of God. Uh, a young Christian, I expect that. The Bible says that a young Christian, the same way that a baby doesn't, uh, you know, isn't born. Julie's getting ready to have a baby. Is a, you're going to have a steak dinner ready for him as soon as he comes out or her, whatever it happens to be? Of course not, right? It's going to be a while before that baby gets to that point because number one, it doesn't have any teeth, right? You give a baby steak with no teeth, he's going to have a hard time eating it. Right? But what does a baby want? A baby wants milk. And eventually it'll get to the point where that baby can eat meat. And it's the same truth. And that's exactly what the Bible talks about when it comes to young Christians. Young Christians can't handle the meat. But if all they ever do is drink milk, then something's wrong, right? It, it, that, I, I would think it was weird if a baby came out eating steak. But I also would think it's weird if that baby's 15 or 20 years old drinking milk only, right? Because a Christian and a baby are designed to grow and to handle more and to be able to take in more. And the, the sad thing is that so many Christians have been on milk for so long, they don't even know what it is to have that meat. The question is, what will this generation produce in the way of Christian leaders and pastors and teachers? I'll answer that because we're seeing that in a lot of places that used to produce some decent young men. Uh, you know, it doesn't take long of, of hanging around with some of these kids in these schools that are coming from a, a, across the state of Virginia and, a, of course, eventually across the country. But, you know, it's a bunch of floppy-haired, skinny-jean-wearing young men that, that are weak as Christians, right? Uh, casual Christians who want the name Christian but want to live like and be accepted by the world. And, and when that's what we are allowing in our churches, of course they're going to do that. Right? Of course, if you let them be more like the world, they're going to be more like the world. But that's why we need to stand up and contend for the faith. We want men and young men who look like men, and we want ladies and young ladies who look and act like ladies, right? We must contend. We must teach and preach the whole counsel of God. 
It's not fun for you to hear it. It's not fun for me to preach it. But we have to because it's the truth of the word of God. We have to raise up a generation of leaders and Christians who understand what they believe, who understand why they believe those things and how to practice that belief according to the word of God. And we have to beg God to give us young men who will contend for the doctrine of Jesus Christ. They are the next generation. And when we're gone, and hopefully it's, you know, hopefully it's a while before that happens, but when we're gone, they are going to be what's left. And what we pass them now is what they are going to be passing on to the next generation. And if we don't stand up for the truths of the word of God and we water them down because we want to be accepted by the contemporary crowd or we want to be accepted by the world, eventually, you know, uh, I mean, uh, take sweet tea or something like that. Let's take sweet tea, for example, right? If you take good, you know, sweet tea that's so sweet, you got to use a fork to eat it with. And that's, the, that's the way sweet tea ought to be, right? But now you take that sweet tea and you mix it with water. Eventually, I mean, it's, it's, it still tastes like sweet tea, but it's not quite sweet tea. It's maybe something you'd find up in the north somewhere, right? Uh, that's the kind of sweet tea you'll get up there. They don't know how to make it, right? But now we pass that on, and they take that half-mixed-with-water sweet tea and take another jug of water and mix it together. And now it's still sweet tea, but it just tastes like nasty sweet tea. It, it, you know, you can tell that's what it was supposed to be, but it really doesn't taste like that, Right? Now you take that nasty mix and you mix it with more water and eventually you're going to get to the point where you didn't even know it was sweet tea to start with. And that's exactly what we're doing from generation to generation of Christianity when we're allowing the doctrines of the word of God to be watered down, when we're allowing them to just take a back seat to the entertainment and to all of these other things that are going on in our churches today. And eventually, and this is what we're seeing all across the country already, you can't even recognize it as Christianity. But that's one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. What we are passing on to the next generation, I want to be good, strong, sweet tea that they will recognize as sweet tea and like it and enjoy it just as much as we have. That's what we're trying to pass on to the next generation. So a biblical fundamentalist, and we'll move along quickly here. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 20. I'm sorry, you're there in 2 Timothy. Why don't you stay there for a second because we're going to get to this third point here. A biblical fundamentalist is not only concerned about pleasing the Savior as his motivation and about contending for the faith, but lastly, it's to express the true love in the heart of Jesus Christ. That's what our motivation ought to be as well. We're concerned with how we go about doing those things. Paul taught Timothy's principle in this way in verse 24 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach, patient. And he goes on, but, but Paul very simply said, a servant of Jesus Christ is not going to strive. That word strive literally refers to warring or disputing or quarreling. The Bible talks about that a lot. And so now I will have you turn over to Proverbs chapter 20. I've got a good handful of verses here that I'm going to hit pretty quickly. So keep up with me if you can. If not, I've got them all listed there. You can write them down. But the Bible teaches very, very much about the matter of striving with others. It warns us to guard our spirits as we serve the Lord. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 3 says, It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Proverbs 25, verse number 8. Proverbs 25, verse 8. Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. Chapter 26, verse 18, Proverbs 26, 18. 
he that passeth by and meddleth with strife belongeth not to him, uh, uh, belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Well, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's not, uh, that's, especially if, it, if the dog has a little bit of fight in him, that's not something I want to do. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Let's look at a couple verses in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5. I think you could probably all quote this. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, right? Those, those are all the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is all of these things, and every one of them are things that deal softly, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. All of those are things that, that are soft things, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Let's look at one more, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Right? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. You can be a fundamentalist and avoid strife. I know that you know, typically and historically, it's, you know, you're not a weak fundamental Christian if you're gentle toward people who don't hold the same position that you hold. Now, we're commanded to reach the world with the gospel. Our desire should not be to ostracize every potential convert or every potential Christian who's interested in what the Bible says, right? There, there is a way to go about it, and there is a way not to go about it. God, help us if our spirits and our attitudes are not right in trying to earnestly contend for the faith, right? Uh, if, if, if our spirit or our attitude causes somebody to turn away from the gospel or turn away from the truth because of the way that we treated somebody, we're, we're not doing the gospel or ourselves any good, right? There's a, there's a lot of people who go about giving the gospel, which is absolutely necessary and absolutely important in the wrong way, and turn people away from the truth of the word of God. I'd be completely opposing all the rest of my message if I'm insinuating that we should compromise for the sake of getting along or compromise for the sake of you know, not hurting somebody's feelings or something like that. Uh, or, or maybe go soft on error for the sake of not offending somebody. I'm not saying that at all. But if the, if the truth causes somebody to move away, then so be it. But may we as Christians, may, may we be Christians that have spirits that are like the spirit of Jesus Christ. Turn to one last verse and we're done. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If the truth offends somebody, then so be it. Let the truth offend them. But my personality, my words, my actions ought not to be what offends somebody, whether that's somebody who is not saved or whether that's somebody uh, who is a Christian who is just not living for Christ. And, and, and I'm not saying that we need to water anything down. We shouldn't. 
We need to earnestly contend for the faith. But we can earnestly contend for the faith in a way that is pleasing to Christ as well. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25 says that. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. But what's the first two words in that whole thing? In meekness, right? Uh, and again, our motivation, it cannot be that, oh, I'm better than you because I do this and you don't. Now, I believe that in a lot of ways we are doing everything we can to be more like Christ than a lot of places are. And, and we should be trying to be more like Christ. But we're not, uh, how many times do we see in the Bible that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves with other people? We should be comparing ourselves with Christ. You look at other people, and yes, maybe we are way ahead of where they are. But I look at myself, where I'm at in relation to Christ, and I'm a whole lot farther away from where I should be, right? And so our motivation ought not to be that, oh, well, at least we're, we're better than a whole lot of other Christians in this world, or we're, we're better than that church up the road, or we're, we're better than those people who are not saved, or whatever it happens to be. That, that cannot be our motivation. And if that's our motivation, we're going about it all wrong. Our motivation has to be, a love for Christ, our motivation has to be a contending for the faith, and our motivation has to be to express the true love in the heart of Jesus Christ. So how are your motives? I think our motives are in the right place, but what's driving you to be a fundamental Christian? You ought to be a fundamental Christian, but what drives you to be there? Are you laboring for the acceptance or the applause or the praise of men or institutions before the glory of God? Because that ought to be our driving motivation. It doesn't matter what some institution says. It doesn't matter what some other church says. It doesn't matter what some other pastor looking at us says or any of those kind of things. Our motivation ought to be to bring glory to God. Are you comparing yourselves with other people and being driven by envy or jealousy or selfish agendas? And that happens so often amongst churches, even good churches, where, well, you know, they, they're doing that thing just a little bit wrong. I would never do it that way. Write them off, throw them out. Oh, I can't be that way. Are you competing with or criticizing like-minded brothers in Christ when you should be contending against a world of ungodliness or treating unsaved men or non-fundamental Christians with disdain or a spirit of arrogance rather than a spirit of kindness? I'm not saying that we put up with, with, uh, uh, with what they're doing because there's a lot of them out there that, are, that, that know better and are not doing it. And I'm not saying that we should just say, well, it's okay if, if you want to you know, compromise in that area, you want to give in in that area, then, then that's fine. We, you know, we're still going to love. We should still love them. We don't have the fellowship with them, but for the most part, many of us, we're still on the same team, and our goal is still the same, and that is to get the message of the gospel out. And we need to look at them that way. We have to allow the Holy Spirit of God to search our own hearts, to expose our innermost being, and really to bring to the surface any motive that's not pure. Uh, if our motives are right, then God can bless us. If our motives are not right, then God cannot bless us. It's as simple as that. Doesn't matter if you're doing it, if you're doing it right. If you're doing it with the wrong motive, then God's not going to bless it, right? Look, how many times did the Bible say that, you know, especially when it comes to this area of giving? I mean, you can give all kinds of money. How many times did he get on the Pharisees for giving all kinds of money, but for giving it with the wrong attitude? They were giving it so they could be seen of men, right? Uh, so obviously, you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and not get any blessing out of it whatsoever. So do we need to be doing the right thing? Absolutely, we need to be doing the right thing. Do we need to contend for the faith? Absolutely, we need to be contending for the faith. But we need to do it with the right motive. We need to be doing it with the right heart. And we need to allow God to redirect our hearts to those three primary motives of a Bible-believing Christian. 
That's to please Christ, to earnestly contend for the faith, and to express the true love in the heart of Jesus Christ. If we're doing those things, then I believe that when we are doing right, God can bless us. If we're not doing those things, then I don't believe God can bless us even if what we're doing on the outside is right. Right? If those are not our motives, then God can't bless it. If they are, then I believe that he can. And so that ought to be the motive of every single uh, biblical fundamentalist. One more truth that we're going to look at next week when it comes to this idea of biblical fundamentalism, and then we will uh, finish up with that and move on to something else. But let's pray for tonight. We'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity we have to be here around your word, and I do thank you for... Uh, the fact that you've given us your word, I pray that you'd help us to stand on it, stand for it, but that we do it with the right heart and the right motivations, and above all, that we do everything we can to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Thank you again for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.